let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, it has been an amazing week already. God is doing some wonderful, wonderful things. And it's always, you know, I have a saying, or our family does rather, that it's always a good day to be a wheeler. And it is. It is a good day. It's always a good day to be a wheeler. But I want to turn that around a little bit and say it's always good to be a part of Grace Church. Amen? You know, last, last Wednesday, my little grandson said, Papa, he says, I can't wait for Sunday to come and get here so I can get baptized in Jesus' name. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says we're to come as a little child. And what would happen, I wonder, in our lives if we would just come just that way, if we would say, you know what, I just can't wait for Sunday service or I can't wait for Wednesday service. I, I wonder what God would do in our lives, you know? And if we could just have that childlike faith. I can remember when he was a little bitty fella, you know, we'd walk around and he would hold my hand and I would just kind of lead him and guide him and just do everything for him and, you know, I'm, Y'all know how that is. I mean, just think if we would just put our hands in God's hand and say, okay, God, lead me. Lead me and guide me. Take care of me. Do what you would have. Do, let's just do whatever you want to do. And, and, and I can see the smile on God's face just, man, look at I got my child with me. You know, it means everything. It means everything, church. But it is so good to see all of you tonight. We're glad that you're here. Those of you joining us tonight via live stream and Facebook Live, we are so thankful that you're with us tonight. If our ushers would go ahead and make their way, we'll certainly give you an opportunity to give. And we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll pray and we'll let you give and we'll do the announcements. Let's pray. Father, we so love you today. We're so thankful, Lord, for the privilege of giving. Lord, you've blessed us. And, Lord, I'm asking that you would take this offering and continue to bless it and let it go, you know, for the furtherance of the gospel. And, Lord, do your work in this. God, this is your church. This is your people, and we ask your blessings upon it. Bless each of our families today. We love you, and we thank you for it always. In Jesus' name. God bless you as you give tonight. Sunday, March the 1st, is our annual business meeting at 6 o'clock p.m. in the A Center. So if you can, certainly be a part of that. Tuesday, March the 3rd, is first Tuesday evening prayer in the sanctuary at 7.30. Now, if you've not made our Tuesday evening prayer, you are missing it. I'm going to tell you, you are missing it. Sunday, March the 8th, the bridge will meet in the A Center at 6 o'clock p.m. A sign-up sheet will be at Grand Central. So for those of you that are involved in that, that Sunday, March the 15th, we're having a baby dedication Sunday, so you can please contact the church office if you'd like your baby to be dedicated, and please remember that. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church via our church app or by clicking the events tab on the website. Haven't you been enjoying Wednesday night services? Pastor has been doing some phenomenal, phenomenal teaching, and I know tonight won't be an exception to that. Give the Lord a hand clap as Pastor comes tonight. Praise the Lord, everybody. 
Great to see you all tonight, and thank you so very much for being here, and um, I appreciate your faithfulness and interest in Wednesday night Bible study, and I do believe it is a necessary part of our spiritual discipline and would not want to change it any other way. I did hear Brother Wheeler mention um, about the bridge gathering. This is a uh, a brand new effort that Sister Ethel Tear is launching for our ladies. And uh, so all of you ladies that would like to just come check that out, if you'll remember, Sister Ethel made an appeal about that uh, just a couple of Sundays ago. And uh, so they're meeting on March the 8th in the A Center. Uh, for those of you that would like to be a part of that, all of our ladies plan to come out. It's at 6 o'clock, and uh, you'll certainly be blessed as she gives you some orientation and overview about that. And I'm looking forward to see what God's going to do through that ministry. And uh, I believe it's going to be very well done. So all of our ladies remember that Sunday, March the 8th and, um, in the A Center. Uh, Sister Ethel will no doubt be very prepared for that. I want to jump back into our Bible study uh, tonight that we started last Wednesday night. <clears throat> And uh, as, as word has drifted back, has trickled back to me uh, pertaining to this, um, I guess it was a little more than what folks expected when you just based it on the title that I gave, What is Biblical Fellowship? There's a little more substance, a little more content than uh, what people expected. Um, most church people, and again, it's, it's, it's ministry uh, responsibility the way we promote fellowship and what have you but we just think it's what you do when you go to the fellowship hall but the Bible teaches far more about fellowship than what uh, most of us have heard and most of us even understand I'm not going to read the entirety of my text tonight in First John chapter 1 but uh, the Bible says and truly our fellowship is with God uh, that's where fellowship begins. And we base this Bible study using 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I mentioned last Wednesday night that John actually speaks of three tests. Um, the test of fellowship, the test of doctrine, and the test of morality. Last Wednesday night I talked to you about the test of fellowship. And uh, that means fellowship with God and with fellow believers. Uh, I would like to do a little bit of review here tonight and um, uh, before we begin our Bible study tonight, which I'll do the, uh, teach on the test of doctrine here in just a moment. Um, I believe when, I believe Jesus opened the door to this principle himself when he said to Thomas to handle me and see. I want you to come and touch me, touch the scars um, in my hands and my feet, touch my side uh, to hear Jesus, to see Jesus. Um, that's limited to senses, your, your natural senses. But to touch him with your hand takes it to a whole nother level. And I believe that's what God is 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 wanting to say to us tonight 
when it talks about fellowship, not only with God, but with one another to Jesus said to handle me and see. They heard him, they had seen him, they had looked upon him. But then they took it to a whole nother level when they handled him. And you'll notice, and I pointed this out last week, when Thomas touched Jesus, what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. And now we talked about that. When he said, my Lord, it indicates a transformation that happened to uh, Thomas. He was not just hearing and seeing Jesus anymore. He was transformed by just touching him. And then that transformation led to revelation when he said, my God, Jesus ceased to be a man. He ceased to be just a prophet. He ceased to be a good man. He became God to Thomas and it erased all of his doubt and certainly his fears. I made the statement last Wednesday night and I'll make it here tonight. Uh, I preached hard uh, this year about sin, about worldliness and what have you. Uh, last summer, if you'll remember, uh, I combined our adult class and uh, next, our younger marriage class, and I taught on sin for those three months, two months. And I've come to this conclusion that our view of God and our view of sin will greatly affect how we handle the word of life or how we handle our relationship with God. If you have a favorable view of sin, then you're going to keep God arm's length. If there's sin in your life that, that you're comfortable with, that you're okay with, then you'll keep God at an arm's length. Uh, I've heard several people say just this year, and it's, it's astounded me, that, that people wanted to make lifestyle changes because their, their, their current lifestyle caused them to sin greatly. So I'll change my lifestyle enough to get rid of that guilt and condemnation about sinning greatly, but I'm still not going to really get back in church either. And that concept, is, it, it's creeping in, folks, and, and you could put it under the banner of carnality. You can put it under the banner of lukewarmness. Um, it's crazy. But the more you handle Jesus, the more you're in fellowship with Jesus, then your view of sin will change. Your view of worldliness and carnality will change. And then last Wednesday night, I gave you a quick list to stimulate some thinking about your own personal condition, your own spiritual condition. Ten questions to diagnose your spiritual health, and it was written by Donald Whitney. But he said, do you still have a thirst for God? If you do, your spiritual health could begin, you could begin to diagnose your spiritual health as decently healthy. If you don't have a thirst for God, you're in trouble. He said, are you governed increasingly by the word of God? Do you live your life more and more based on what the Word of God teaches you or do you live your life less and less based on what the Word of God teaches? Are you more loving than you've been in the past? 
Are you more sensitive to God's presence than you've been in the past? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others more than you've had in the past? Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Do you enjoy and are you inspired by being a part of the church? Are you are spiritual disciplines increasingly more important to you? Are spiritual disciplines increasingly more important to you? If they're not, then that means you're straying away. When you sin, do you still grieve over it? Does it bother you when you sin? If it doesn't, spiritually, you're in trouble. Are you a quick forgiver? People who are spiritual and close to God are usually quick forgivers. It's the carnal, the worldly that has a propensity to tote grudges and become bitter. And then finally he asks, do you yearn for heaven and to be with the Lord? What's the story about the uh, professional baseball pitcher that God told him, asked him if he went to heaven, would he be willing to pitch? And he said, of course. He said, can you be prepared to pitch this coming Sunday? Uh, Somebody wrote a country song one time that says, I want to go to heaven, I just don't want to go today. Um, Do you yearn for heaven and to be with the Lord. I have a young family member that's had the conversation with his mother that says, yes, I want to go to heaven, but there's a lot of things here I still like. At least he's being honest about it. I've reached a point where it would not hurt my feelings if I went to heaven before this service ended. I'm just being honest. It would not hurt my feelings a bit to make that ascent And just let's go on and get this stuff over with. What we handle, what we draw into ourselves, what we bring into our bosom, if you will, is what we fellowship. And if you fellowship the world and worldly things, then that's what you'll be. But if you fellowship the word of God and you fellowship God's presence, that's what you'll be. The word fellowship in the Bible has four parts to its definition. I went over this last Wednesday night. I'll get to my Bible study tonight in just a minute. I just I wanted to repeat some of this stuff back to you. Fellowship and the and 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 the words that is is translated fellowship in the New Testament, there's four of them. It means partnership, it means participation, it means interaction, and it means benefaction. Last Wednesday night I demonstrated in scripture that there's five parts to the meaning of the word fellowship or at least the application of it. There's five parts to it. Listen very carefully and and, and be patient for a moment. In Acts 2.42, the Bible said, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That word fellowship is intimate fellowship, but it's intimate fellowship and testimony, breaking bread, praying together, trusting one another. They're loyal to one another. They're faithful. They're forbearing with those of like precious faith. That's what that uh, word fellowship means. But then in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, Paul said, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That word fellowship means praying, fasting, 
Bible study, tithing, giving, developing in the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, to praise, to worship. So now we have two different meanings, the word fellowship. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, Paul mentioned again, praying with us, uh, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of, to the saints. That word fellowship means helping fellow saints of God with thoughts and acts of kindness, with all long suffering and a spirit of benevolence without expecting the same in return. So that's a third definition uh, of the word fellowship. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible said, Paul said, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. That word fellowship means a Christ-like attitude towards all people without bias and without prejudice. So that's the fourth definition for different ways the word fellowship can be defined in the scripture. And then finally, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That word fellowship indicates sometimes life can be difficult to the point that it seems unfair and it will involve pain and suffering. A relationship with God does not exempt us from suffering but we must understand that difficulties help develop character and we have the promise that God will be with us. So these are the five levels of fellowship that the Bible talks about. This is biblical fellowship. And then the Bible gives to us three things concerning fellowship. Number one is communion, where Paul said the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This is fellowship when it's sacrificial. This is fellowshipping with God and with the people of God when it's not always convenient, when it's not always easy. And then in Hebrews 13, he said, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips uh, by giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. The word communicate means to fellowship that involves continual praise. And then finally, there's contribution where Paul said in Romans, for it has pleased him, them of Macedonia and Acacia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are Jerusalem. This is fellowship involves contributing to the saints who are in need. So you understand tonight. That to fellowship biblically, it's multifaceted. It's more than a handshake. Remember the story I told you preaching several Sundays ago of the poster that the Salvation Army put out about a ship that had been shipwrecked and a man was out there in a rowboat trying to reach out his hand to people in the water. The pastor's little boy looked at that and said, is a man trying to help him or is he just trying to shake their hand? It's a legitimate question. And I think sometimes we limit our help to one another with just a mere handshake of kindness, but the Bible delves way deeper into fellowship. So that is the biblical presentation of what fellowship is, that we are more of a family. It's not just casual relationship. And when there's needs, we rally to the need. When there's problems, we rally to the problem. We do whatever it takes to the best of our ability and resources to help when people are in trouble and, and then there's spiritual development, fellowship with God and on and on. And then there's the test of doctrine. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. We talked about the test of fellowship that John mentioned in his epistle in 1 John chapter 1. Now I want to talk to you about the fellowship of doctrine. The premise for this, and, and over the past several months, I've, I've had a lot of concern. I've had a lot of reason to be concerned. For years, and, and people that have attended Grace Church uh, for any length of time knows this is my heartbeat. Um, I've, I've, I've always encouraged people to fellowship people from other churches of, of like precious faith. And then I took it a step, a step further. If you want to be a soul winner, it's important that you know a sinner. I think that's rather obvious. But there's a lot of church people who have isolated themselves from people. And so if, you, if God dealt with you to win somebody to the Lord, you don't even know anybody. So I've taught for years for the church not to isolate yourself in the world, but to insulate yourself. That is that you can rub shoulders with the people you work with and, and what have you, but you want you to rub off on them more than them rubbing off on you. Everybody said amen. Well, even when our, our kids, and I'll, I'll be very plain here tonight, very, very plain spoken. When our kids was teenagers, I mentioned the other day that uh, Kelton had won a lot of his friends to the Lord when our church was in Baker. And uh, we said it humorously, but he didn't win any girls. And uh, you can ask him why on that one. I don't know if he didn't have any girlfriends or I don't know what the problem was. You can talk to Kelton about that. But anyway, um, but I encouraged my kids. Uh, we, we, we've not had Sunday night church here in probably over 20, 20 years, probably closer to 25 years. So I would encourage my kids when they were teenagers to go meet up with the, the kids of area churches. Um, Sometimes they'd go meet them at their service, whether it was Brother Johnson's church in Denham Springs or at that time Brother Young in Baton Rouge or uh, Brother Martin um, with what was then the Voice of Pentecost. We encouraged them to go hang out with other people, and they did. And uh, it served to be a very useful purpose. But as particularly this area has evolved, um, I'm seeing a trend over the past, I've noticed it more profoundly over the past uh, six or eight months, but actually it's probably been going on for a couple of years, where there's so many Pentecostal-like churches in the area. They're not one God necessarily. Maybe they used to be. They're not anymore. They used to teach the doctrine. They don't anymore. And our folks have a propensity to hang out with folks like that. And if, if they detect any kind of vulnerability in your life, they'll seize the moment. In my opinion, it should be the other way around. When you see vulnerability in their life, you seize the moment to bring them back to a relationship with God. So a whole lot that, that's a whole lot of what's driving this Bible study here tonight. I don't fear too much other denominations and, and other uh, prominent religions in the area bothering our good apostolic people that much. But there's, there's enough kind of Pentecostal-like people. They, they, they say they're Pentecostal. They're a version of Pentecostal. And, and, you know, they're Christians. And, you know, we, 
we can kind of walk the same walk and talk the same talk and, and what have you, but their lifestyle isn't commensurate with what the Word of God. I'm not trying to teach people to be a judge, but I think it's kind of obvious when people say I'm a this and I'm a that and their life is not backing it up, then there's an issue somewhere. I wish I could say exactly what I wanted to say, exactly like I want to say it, but it would not be appropriate. I want everybody to understand tonight, we all love the gospel, we all love the Bible, but more and more, and it's creeping into the church, it's creeping into Grace Church. There are many among us today who say that doctrine is literally getting in the way of church growth, that doctrine is getting in the way of true evangelism. I want everybody to listen tonight. I've known of too many pastors that I know personally that dropped holiness standards. Brother Tenney said years ago this would happen and it's happening. You dropped your, your, your holiness standards. He taught holiness standards were a guardrail. It could kind of keep you in the center. If you went too far that way, it would bop you back into the center. If you went too far that way, it would bop you back into the center. But when you do away with that, you don't have a guardrail now protecting your core beliefs. And if you're not careful, you'll change those too. And I've known, I know so many pastors that used to stand in a, a, an apostolic church and preach the gospel as harder, harder than I do, that's decided all of a sudden that none of this stuff is as important but our saints won't intermingle with each other. And so you hear what that pastor's teaching and preaching, which is a whole lot of big blob of cotton candy, in my opinion. And it's, it's not biblical anymore. Uh, they've taken the Bible and cut all some, a bunch of verses out, and they don't teach and preach or even acknowledge they're there. I know what I'm talking about here tonight. I'm not just whistling in the wind, if you will. I've, I have people come to me with this more often than you think. It says, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. Uh, I've had folks from some of these churches that have come and say they just don't teach this stuff anymore. They don't preach this stuff anymore. And I'm not talking about just one person. So don't anybody sit there and say, well, I wonder who he's talking about. That's not the point. I believe that doctrine is important. As far as I'm concerned, if you don't have doctrine, you don't have the gospel. Fellowship will always lead to communion, whether we willingly admit this or not. So the more you fellowship with people, then you start fellowshipping with what they believe. You start fellowshipping with what they interpret the Bible to say. And it will start sowing questions in your mind, things in your heart that start steering you away from the gospel. The trend that is appearing is that the church wants to open its arms towards, toward anything that remotely resembles a hand wave towards Christianity. I've even noticed here at Grace Church, and it's prompted some of the preaching and teaching that I've been doing. We have promoted here for a number of years that anybody's welcome to come to Grace Church, but you're not coming to change our environment. Neither are you coming to change what we believe. Our purpose is to change you to our environment and change you to what we believe. That's the point. But there might be one or two Grace Church folks here and there that hear these people talk and see how they live and you like that better than what you believe and 
You like that better than what you live, so you want to kind of go that direction a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. You just can't wave your hand towards everything that resembles Christianity. I keep hearing Pentecostals say about people who die tragically in the world that they made some profession of Christ before they died. That's not what the Bible teaches you do. We have to be careful to stay in the book. I'm not asking people to judge. I put people in the hands of God, but I'm not going to try to save them. The trend, this trend is encroaching the church more and more and more. And some argue with vehemence that too much time is being wasted on doctrinal quibbles. I had a pastor, he's, he's a friend of mine. He looked me dead in the eye in this church, in this building, and said, do you really believe people have to speak in other tongues to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? The huge emphasis that leans towards evangelism is causing a very unbalanced approach of the modern apostolic church. Evangelism must always be linked to doctrine. The point of evangelism is to lead somebody to Jesus. You're not just asking them to attend church with you, but you're asking them to ultimately get their heart right with God. Well, there has to be a biblical premise and a biblical foundation for that. Can somebody say amen? Evangelism is important. But on the other hand, there's no question that is more crucial than how to get to heaven. I don't want to just bring people in out of sin. I just don't want to bring them in out of the world. <laughs> I want to point them on to that blessed city and I'll tell them with all of my might what I believe it takes for them to get there. And I'll hold my Bible in my hand while I'm doing it. When the doctrinal underpinnings are tossed aside, the entire church is on very shaky foundation at best. So let me teach a few things here tonight and I'll go as quickly as I can. We need to study doctrine. I've mentioned this numerous times in the past months. It, it seems to be the real vogue thing to do, and I'm not discounting it in any way, but it seems to be the vogue thing to do that everybody wake up in the morning and do a devotional. You read a sweet little psalm and, uh, or, or something along that line and, and you think you've done something major, some major spiritual accomplishment in your life. I'm not discounting that. But there comes a time when you need to break your Bible out and prove to yourself once again that there's one God and his name is Jesus. There comes times in your life when you need to get your Bible out and find where the apostles preach repentance and water baptism by submersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the speaking of other tongues. We need to understand that. The study of doctrine will keep you from spiritual error. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. 
So doctrine will keep you from spiritual error. Doctrine will help to settle your life. There is an academic responsibility for us not only to be aware of the doctrine, but to learn and know how to give a ready answer for what we believe. I've made it clear a long time ago, I'm not going to argue and I'm not going to debate. But I can stand here and tell you why I believe what I believe and I can give you chapter and verse for it. Peter said in his epistle, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. That's, the, that's where your, your devotion will help you. But when, when somebody stands in front of you and say, you prove to me I have to be baptized in Jesus' name, can you do it? If you can't, why? I'll never forget my sister Murphy's older brother, Gary. It was interesting. He and I were... I guess about 16, maybe 17, about 17, 18 years old, I guess. And I don't know which one said it. It was, certainly was not in a, a belligerent way at all, but we were, we were riding home. He was actually going to stay the night at my house that night. I'll never forget it. We are riding home from somewhere, and one of us mentioned, Brother Donnie, said, uh, how do we know our pastor is teaching us right? We just amen and praise the Lord and run the aisles and shout and dance and all that. How do we know he's right? It's a legitimate question. I've not said it in a long time, but I've said it quite a bit in the past. Some of you may remember, don't believe a word I say. Go home and study it for yourself. So he and I went home and got in the middle of my bed, sitting Indian style in the middle of my bed. We had our Thompson Chain Reference Bibles. And we started looking for scriptures about one God and, and repentance and Jesus' name, baptism. And from that day to this, as a matter of fact, that's where I got a revelation of God in Christ. It was an amazing moment. We sat, in, sat up in that bed for probably two or three hours going through our Bibles. And uh, the last time I talked to him, he's still apostolic to the core and so am I. And I'm, I feel very comforted tonight that I know what I believe and have faith in what I believe. And I'm confident that because of what I believe when I die or when I'm raptured, I'm going to heaven. Can you say that tonight? Is it based on what I say or is it based on what you've studied? Doctrine will help to settle your life. And if you know what you believe, you won't be blown away by every wind of doctrine that comes along. The third thing is that doctrine will help us understand the details of God's eternal plans. Number four, doctrine will afford us the approval of God. As you become mature saints of God, there's a greater hunger for the word. The more that we hunger for the word, the more disciplined that our study of the Bible will become. I'll give you an example of this. I preached several Sundays ago about we need a move, if you'll remember that Sunday. And uh, that, that, that the context, part of the context of that message was that Jesus had given to his disciples the power to heal and cast out devils and so on in Matthew 13, but in Matthew or Matthew 10 and Matthew 13, they lost it because they de-godded him. How could a man, Jesus said, how, how could a man be a prophet except in his own town and so on? They de-godded him. Well, where did that come from? 
comes from study. That's how you learn stuff about the Bible. You have to study it. Not just read it, but study it. I've never been one, and y'all y'all gonna say shame on you, Pastor, and maybe rightfully so. But I've not been one of these persons that reads the Bible through eight times a year. I, I, I very rarely just summarily just pick up the Bible and just read it. I'm always looking for something. I'm always searching for something. I want to look for something more. I want to see something I've never seen. And, of course, all of that is based and built on the foundation that I've already laid in my own personal life and so on. But there should be more of a hunger for God. Anybody that says, I know enough about the Bible, you're in deep trouble. You never know enough about the Bible. The next thing that doctrine does is it provides a clear biblical basis for our foundational beliefs. Our theology must be explicitly based on the word of God. When one attempts to factor in extra biblical literature, i.e. books of, and literature written and by untested and untried authors with ulterior motives and ideas without sound Bible foundation, you have to watch out for that stuff. And if, if you don't have a good solid Bible foundation, you can be swept into that. You have to know your Bible. This is why I still stand opposed to all these different translations of the Bible because it changes wording and it changes meaning. I'm on the verge of asking our ministry team to quit using it in this pulpit. Just read King James and then you explain what it means to the folks if they don't understand it. They leave out, these translations leave out words and verses. Some of them leave out entire chapters. Um... You have to be careful with that kind of stuff. And everybody listen, set up straight and listen with both ears, as my fifth grade teacher used to say a hundred times a day. The Internet is not a dependable source for Bible study. I find it interesting that Paul said that all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, all scripture is profitable for doctrine. All of it is. It all points to Jesus. It all does. It all points to Jesus. We must adapt the pattern that who, uh, of, of pursuing the evidence that is found in scripture. You pursue the evidence of it. Um, I'll tell you what helped me, if any of you ever have an opportunity to do it. Take a trip to Israel. Take about a two-day tour of Jerusalem right on the Sea of Galilee. Go up to the Garden of Gethsemane. Go to the place where they believe he was buried. Look at the Mount Golgotha, the place of the skull. It'll bring the Bible home if you ever have an opportunity to go. But you, you do things that complements what the Bible teaches. Uh, there's, there's lots of evidence outside of Scripture that proves evidence found within Scripture. Uh, there has to be a clear biblical base for our foundational beliefs. Doctrine provides a clear explanation of God's Word. The study of doctrine is not intended to result in confusion and frustration and fill one's life with uncertainty and doubt. Once we allow the Word of God to have the final say on issues, our hearts can remain at rest. One can understand that the new birth is essential, that baptism is essential, 
that tongues are still the initial evidence of the new birth, that the gifts of the Spirit are still in the New Testament church, and we can have hope in a rapture that will remove a waiting church from this world. If you understand Bible doctrine, that gives you a clear explanation of these things. And you're not sitting around scratching your head about what did God really mean when he said that. I remember when I was in high school in the 10th grade, uh, our English teacher, and I, I still don't know why she did this. I don't know what caused her to do it, or if I did, I forgot it. But she challenged the class. She said, I want to have a debate. I want somebody to volunteer to debate the creation. The worlds were created by God. And I want someone else to volunteer to debate the theory of evolution. I don't know what came across my brain that day, but to defend creation, I raised my hand. I was the only one that raised my hand. But there were three people that raised their hand to defend uh, evolution as, as the means of what, with how the world began and all that. So the day came. I was nervous, and buddy, I studied. Again, Thompson Chain Reference Bible was my favorite Bible, and I studied creation, studied creation, and what have you. And um, so we went at it for, for that whole entire class period, the the, the teacher got a moderator. She wrote the questions and all that. And each side had an opportunity to answer with equal amount of time. I was up there by myself. But when the whole thing was over, I didn't even know it till the whole thing was over. But the principal of the school was sitting in there for that debate. And he walked up to the front of the school and he's in front of that class. He said, I can tell you right now. I am far more persuaded that God spoke this world into existence than by it just evolving from some theory of evolution or whatever. This guy did a great job. And I don't know what I said and I don't know what I did, but I was willing to take my Bible and I studied it and I went as prepared as I could be. And old Murph won that debate that day and I was real happy about it and I'll never forget it. But it, 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 is, it, it is important that you understand that the Bible provides a clear explanation of the Word of God through doctrine. Yes, it does. I do remember one thing the evolution people said. They asked them where did speech came, come from. And they said, well, you know, the old caveman threw a rock up in the air and it hit him on the head and he hollered, ouch. And um, I remember asking the moderator to ask them, well, what language did he say ouch in? Was it French, Spanish, or whatever? And they just kind of threw their hands up. And I said, when God created Adam, he, he named all the animals in the garden. God created him knowing how to speak very well. That was a whole lot easier to believe than that ouch business. <clears throat> Doctrine can be applied to our daily lives in a sense of godly and righteous living. Theology is to be lived, sung, and prayed. The entire word of God brings truth to our lives when we live it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I have on more than one occasion been in prayer time and felt the presence of evil and my immediate go-to, Jesus did it. He quoted scripture and that's what I do. When I feel evil, I start quoting scripture. And I was here one night praying when we were renting the building. I was the only one here. 
And uh, there was a Bible sitting over there, what was a pew, and there was a Bible sitting on it. I was walking that way. I knew this door right here was open about six or eight inches, and I heard it slam shut. That got my attention. And I didn't run. I picked up that Bible and said, in the name of Jesus, if you're going to get to me, I felt an evil in this building you can't even imagine. But I got my, that Bible and I walked straight through that door and I didn't turn the light on either. Went straight through there in the dark proclaiming Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and the word of God and the power of the word of God and what have you. About that time, Sister Yvonne Thompson was coming down the hall where my office is and we met. And I thought she was the devil and she thought I was a lunatic. <laughs> but bless God, I got rid of that spirit, I can tell you that. Amen. When you apply the word of God to your life every day, when you live it every day, when you live it every day, you, it gives you a sense of godly and righteous living that you're not under condemnation, you're not under fear. The people who flirt with the world, who flirt with sin and all of that stuff all the time, you're miserable, you feel condemnation, you know you're not living right, and it makes you hard to be married to, it makes, you, it, makes it hard to be a parent, makes it hard in everything because you know your heart is not right with God. Y'all give me a few more minutes. It's 8.16. Y'all owe me about three hours from all these times that I've been so generous lately. But I do want to finish this tonight. There are some myths and facts about doctrine. Number one myth is Doctrine is the useless practice of arguing about non-essential matters in Scripture. Fact, doctrine is the systematic gathering and presentation of facts concerning a body of truth. One must love doctrine enough to gather the facts about it. The second myth is doctrine is divisive and one, and one must pursue an alternative of love. The fact is that doctrine does divide. Divides light from darkness, right from wrong, the broad way from the narrow way. However, it unites true Christian fellowship, and more importantly, it unites us with God. Again, Paul said that I might know him. Myth, doctrine and soul winning and church growth do not mix. Fact, doctrine and soul winning and church growth must go together. People must be convinced of what they are standing for and what they're believing in. There can never be a lack of knowledge. Paul used doctrine and soul winning and church planting very effectively. The apostolic doctrine gives the church a point on which to stand. Myth. Doctrine is dull and impractical for my life. Fact. Doctrine is the fire and song of those who read and heed. Like Luke 24 that indicates that our hearts will burn within us while the scriptures are being opened unto us. Myth. Why learn more doctrine when we do not live out what we already know? Fact, we need to learn and obey the entire Bible. By learning more, we are able to incorporate what we already know into our lives. Myth, doctrine is too deep and covers too much. Fact, the Bible teaches that doctrine is revealed to babies. Lots of scripture for that. Doctrine is not too difficult if you're willing to apply yourself to learning. I want to make a statement here in passing. I heard someone say one time, and I've never forgotten, as a pastor said, he got sick and tired of people 
coming to his church and saying, I'm leaving such and such a church because I'm just not getting fed anything. He says, there's only two reasons why you can't eat. You're an invalid, you're an invalid or you're an infant. What do you think about that? If you're hungry, you'll find something to eat. Just open your Bible and there's plenty in there. Myth. Our goal should be to allow the Bible to master us and do not waste time trying to master it. Fact. Our goal is for the Bible to master us by study. One cannot be influenced by one what does not know uh, what, excuse me, one cannot be influenced by what one does not know. Neither should we be influenced by what we may not know is scriptural. So fellowship is so crucial in our lives, who you fellowship with. And certainly we need to be in continual fellowship with God and with the word of God. So therefore the focus of fellowship must be centered on God and the saints. So in conclusion tonight, let me talk to you about true fellowship. Give me about five minutes. Talk to you about true fellowship, which I'm going to call the test of morality. Fellowship in the true sense of the word will add numerous benefits to our lives. True fellowship with God and his people brings comfort. This was demonstrated in Luke 24 when the Lord revealed himself to the two weary disciples on the road to Emmaus. True fellowship brings spiritual growth. The old adage from the Proverbs that iron sharpeneth iron is true because other believers will cause us to be challenged to grow in our prayer, worship, fellowship, and our experience with God. True fellowship brings peace. Paul encourages the growth of peace and unity in the church at Rome. True fellowship provides an atmosphere of conversation and sharing. Malachi 3.16 proves that true fellowship will lead to effective prayers. True fellowship also opens up the benefits towards admonishment and warning. Psalm 141 verse 5 states that the righteous shall smite and, and, and reproof will be an excellent oil. This is how we are shaped by God. True fellowship will bring a lift to our prayers. True fellowship is an atmosphere of serving one another. The greater question to ask, do I strive for fellowship among the church? Our times are cold and distant. Few want to really get involved with the troubles of others. Sometimes the spirit of the age affects us also, but there must be a communion with others. So we need to ask ourselves tonight in our relationship with fellowship with God and the church, have I developed a critical spirit? If you have, you will not want to fellowship. Have I become isolated in my walk with God? If you have, you will not want fellowship. Have I become distant in my relationship with God? If you have, you'll not desire fellowship. These questions address the issue of fellowship among the believers. This fellowship is motivated by a living and vibrant relationship with Jesus. When one considers this concept, it is amazing that we could even live with God and that we could even live with God and have fellowship. In Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea is described. The desire was that God wanted to fellowship in this church. Yet their preoccupation with the world caused them to lay aside their important devotion towards God. It is crucial to understand that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that it's only the beginning. Some question the importance of a fellowship of believers in a church or in a corporate body of believers. They insinuate that there's no real reason to be associated with a church and, 
Can one really have fellowship and not be embodied in a church? When the church is the family of God, it would be unconscionable to think that we can disassociate it. Although fellowship with God is on a very personal level, many of my greatest times of communion with God have been during moments of worship collectively with the church body. The psalmist said in Psalm 84 verse 10, and I'm concluding, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He went on to say, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. So fellowship with God and his people is the very priority of our lives. The matter of fellowship is also very closely related to separation. Much of our time, much of our time and our fellowship will dictate the amount of separation that we're willing to commit to. However, this pattern needs to be reversed. Our separation should dictate the amount and content of our fellowship with others. Jesus said to love not the world, neither the things of the world. For he that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to be very well versed and very well established in my relationship with God and my relationship with God's people. It's not the only people I fellowship with, but it's my priority people that I fellowship with. And I can promise you here tonight, I don't fellowship anybody more than I do with the saints of the living God. I love God and I love his church. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But it's the best thing going on this planet. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight if you would. Father, we're thankful tonight for your word. We're thankful for the blessing, the inspiration, the encouragement of your word. We're thankful for the guidance, the wisdom of the word of God. And I pray tonight, God, that you would quicken Grace Church to have us once again fall in love with the word of God, with all of it, with all of it, to develop an appetite, a hunger and thirst for your word. Pray that you would talk to this church about that, that all of us would be consumed by the word of God. And if there's any point to fellowship with folks in the world, our main focus would be to acquaint them with the fellowship that they're missing. It'll fill voids, it'll satisfy hungers, it'll quench thirst. Pray that you would talk to us tonight, God, about biblical fellowship, that it goes beyond a handshake. But it's extending a hand in a time of need. It's extending a hand to help. It's prayer. It's fasting. It's studying the word of God together. It's living for God together. It's fighting for the truths of the word of God together. No man is an island to himself. We all fellowship with somebody. We all fellowship with something. And I pray tonight that our thoughts and our intents of our hearts would be true and reliable and faithful to the word of God. Blessed tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Great crowd here tonight. Thank you all so much for coming. So great to see you. Fellowship with somebody. Love on them a little bit before you leave. God bless you in Jesus' name.